0: You need to be clean. If I said that to you, what would you think of? Obviously, given the scripture reading, you might think any number of things, right? But if I just said that to you out and about in the normal course of your day, you need to be clean, what we would commonly think of would be things like, I was working on a car, or I was working on something else, and now I've got grease on my hands, I need to use soap and water to get that off, right? Or given all the concern about germs in the last year, You might think there's bacteria, there's viruses, I need to do something, hand sanitizer, hand washing, all of these things so that I don't get sick. But um, the context of the Bible, maybe you think of something like sin, right? And perhaps you've always thought that sin and uncleanness are exactly the same thing, right? Because they tend to be linked, I think, in our minds when we look at the Bible, but when we look at Leviticus 11-15, through 15, which admittedly is a longer section, but it's linked by several common ideas. One of these ideas is that people can be unclean, but it's not their fault. They're not guilty, they have not deliberately sinned. Secondly, we see that uncleanness is not sinful in itself, but sin touches everything in our lives. And then finally, we're going to see that uncleanness had to be dealt with through separation and sacrifice, at least for the Israelites. And we'll talk about how uncleanness is dealt with in our lives today. So today I want us to learn more about how God cleanses us from uncleanness. I said first of all that you can be unclean without it necessarily being your fault. We see this because uncleanness came through various non-sinful sources. Why do I say non-sinful sources? Food is good. When God created all the animals of the world, God said they are very good. Children are good. There are a number of passages throughout the scriptures that point to the blessing of having children and the fact that having children is good. It's not to be seen as as evil in itself. The discussion of leprosy in chapters 13 and 14, in some cases was not actually leprosy. It was a mark on the skin from a burn or a cut or a scrape or something like that, right? And it's not your fault if you happen to be doing work and you get a cut or a scrape or a burn, right? There's there's no guilt attached to that sort of thing. And then finally, even in chapter 15, which admittedly perhaps is the the most awkward one for us to think about or discuss publicly but is just what the text says, God created our bodies as a good thing. The fact that we are male and female, the fact that our bodies have particular shapes and functions and organs and systems and the way that it all works together in and of itself is not evil. It's not unholy. And yet, uncleanness came through a variety of sources. For example, uh, if you turn back to chapter 11, verse 8, They were commanded not to eat of their flesh or touch their carcasses, the dead body of one of these animals. They are unclean to you. What sort of animals? Something like a rabbit. The rule was they were allowed to eat something that had a divided hoof and chewed its cut, something like cattle or something like sheep. But they were not allowed to eat something like a rabbit, which has a paw, not a hoof, even though it chews grass like those other animals. And if you took one of those animals and ate them, you would become unclean. And if you touched the dead body of one of those animals, you would also become unclean. Uh, This extended even to something like an insect. If you had a particular type of bugs or lizards or things like that in your house, and they fell on you or on your food or on your bed or on uh, the grain that you were going to sow in the ground, all these sorts of things those could be unclean as well. And this is not a, again, clearly not a sinful issue, right? Because these are just things that happen. Bugs get into dwellings, animals get into dwellings, particularly in the sort of place where tents were their dwellings. Having a baby would make the woman unclean. There's nothing evil about having a baby, right? But that would make the woman unclean for a period of time. Leprosy or spots on people or buildings would make the person unclean Discharges from the body would also make the person unclean. So you can be unclean without it always being your fault In connection with that uncleanness came through various non-sinful sources a second important point that we see from these chapters is This idea that uncleanness was contagious, but not in a dirt or disease sort of way so for example If I am working on something in the garage and I get grease on my hands and I dry my hand on the towel in the kitchen and then my wife goes and dries her hand on the towel in the kitchen, she's going to probably get some of the dirt and grime that was on my hands on her hands, right? Or if we go back to the the disease example, right? If someone doesn't wash their hands very well, wipes it on that towel that's in the gas station that they used to have that went round and round, right? The next person came and used that same one that, that would be contagious, right? But those are not the types of contagiousness we're talking about, right? It was an idea of someone being contaminated or it was contagious in contact in the sense that it made the other person unclean. Not sick, not dirty, but unclean. We'll talk more about what that meant in a moment. What was it about? It was about contact with God and the rest of the people. So for example regarding food we saw in 11 verse 44 and 45 this idea of be holy because I am holy I brought you up from the land of Egypt. So it's rooted in their relationship with God. Right? Or regarding the woman if you look at chapter 12 and verse 4 she shall not touch any consecrated thing nor enter the sanctuary until the days of her purification are completed. So it was not For hygienic purposes, it was not she needs to rest up after childbirth. It was not she has some sort of sickness. It was she's not allowed to be in God's presence for this period of time. Regarding leprosy, we saw in chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, that the person had to live outside the camp. And then regarding discharges of a sexual nature in verse 15, Keep the sons of Israel separated from their uncleanness so they will not die by defiling my tabernacle. So again, that same concern. There's this idea of holy things not being made unclean. Not, not dirt, not disease, but relationship with God and other people in connection with the worship of God. Uncleanness was to be avoided primarily because of God. I say primarily because of God. There's any number of explanations that we might take for why some of these things were commanded, right? Food, for example, might have been linked to avoiding scavengers or the things that directly ate dead things, right? But this is not ultimately about avoiding parasites. Some people have made it about that. I don't think it's about that. Giving birth often had pagan rituals associated with it. What would happen to the blood of the birth or the afterbirth or those sorts of things? Witchcraft and pagan cultures had strange rituals connected with those things. But even if there was some implication of that, that's not the primary reason God said not to do it. God said not to do anything that would bring that person in contact with my dwelling place because you have a relationship with me. That's the reason that's given. It doesn't explain it any further. Leprosy is contagious. Various types of, of rashes or diseases or those sorts of things can be contagious, But this whole discussion of leprosy and spots on buildings in chapter 13 and 14 is not primarily about masking up, avoiding pandemics, those sorts of things, right? That's not the focus of it here. And then people often use their bodies in a sexual way as part of pagan worship, but the focus here was on right worship of the true God, not on all the ways they could go astray with that. So all of the reasons that are given in these chapters for why uncleanness was to be avoided and dealt with had to do with God's holiness, not defiling his sanctuary, and the relationship between God and his people and one another. So all of those things were under this subject of you can be unclean and it's not necessarily your fault. The second point I want us to see is that your uncleanness is not sinful, and yet sin affects everything in our lives. So let's think about what this would look like. Food is not sinful in itself. I said God created everything and declared all things good prior to this point that we see in Leviticus. We come to the New Testament and in Mark seven nineteen, Jesus has this discussion of the fact that it's not the food that you take into you, but the sin that comes out of your heart that defiles you. And so it says sort of in a parenthetical statement, thus Jesus declared all foods clean in Mark seven nineteen. Later passages like the story of Peter and the vision that he has from God in Acts 10 and 11 or even what Paul writes in Romans 14:14 14, 14, these things show that as New Testament believers we are free to eat all foods but here's the danger and why I say sin can touch or corrupt or affect all these things food in and of itself cannot be is not sinful but food can be connected with things like disunity or pride or even pagan worship We see examples of this in the New New Testament, right? So, when they were gathering to eat a meal together before they observed the Lord's table in 1 Corinthians, what was happening? It was an opportunity for them to show pride about their status. It was an opportunity for them to result in disunity because here's this person that's hungry and here's this person who's eaten more than they should have and instead of serving one another in their gathering, food had become an occasion for sin or the connection of food offered to idols actually participating in pagan worship would be sinful but the food itself was not somehow tainted because it was connected with that pagan worship which is why after the sacrifices at the pagan temple when that ox or that goat or that sheep could be sold at the market a New Testament believer could go and buy that meat and eat it and Paul said Everything that God has made, God has made it. It's good. Enjoy God's good gifts. And yet, if an unbeliever invited you over, and he said this was offered at the pagan temple, don't encourage him in his pagan worship. You can't eat it then. Did the food magically become evil? No. But there are moral issues connected with it, even though in itself it's not evil. Children are not defiled in themselves. Again, children are seen as a good thing. Some people will go back to Genesis and they'll say, well, you know, children didn't happen until after the fall of man into sin, so children must be somehow evil in some way, right? Or, or Eve sort of tricked Adam into having children with her, or some sort of strange idea like that. That's not the way that the Bible portrays it. Children are portrayed as a good gift of God. And yet, uh, that too can be corrupted. A positive example of how children are viewed in light of this passage is the fact a little section in Luke 2 that we tend to skip over where it says, Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day, and Mary, after the days of her purification were completed, went up to the temple. We skip over that, but that's what it says in Leviticus chapter 12 that there were days of purification for the mother, and that here's what needed to happen for the son and Jesus fulfills the law in that respect. There is also this fascinating point that Paul makes in 1 Timothy 2:15 that goes back to Genesis 3, Genesis 3:16 there is going to be part of the curse of sin affects women in childbirth that it will be painful, that it will be difficult. And yet Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2 says it is also honorable And it is also a means by which God uses those women who believe in him to accomplish positive good in the lives of their family. He says, women will be saved if they continue in childbearing, if they continue in faith, if they teach their children, if they raise them to follow up after God. And obviously that's a difficult passage. People have taken it in a wrong sense as though... Somehow giving birth makes someone holy. That's not the point. But I think it's being linked back here to what it says in Leviticus, which is contact can either defile or lead a person to holiness. And if there is a woman who's committed to God and training up her children the way that she should, then she's leading them to holiness, to a right relationship with God. And that's how it ties into this passage here. Furthermore, there's the issue of Disease. Is disease a punishment for sin? Not necessarily. It can be, but uh, sometimes it's merely an occasion, a result of living in a sinful world that is an occasion for God to show His power. Think of Jesus, for example, healing the leper, and then later a group of lepers in Luke chapter 5, and then in Luke 17. They are healed to bring glory to God. The story of the ten lepers, only one of them comes back and thanks Jesus, right? But in those stories, we see this idea of going to the priest, following the rituals that Moses required, and here's another connection point between the law and Jesus, upholding and honoring the law, and yet having the power to deal with those things the law described in a way that the priest couldn't heal them. The priest could only say, are you clean or are you unclean? Jesus could actually heal them. We do acknowledge, though, that sin can be a contributing factor to why someone might be sick. James chapter 5, there's this idea of the person who's sick and the elders of the church going and praying over, anointing him with oil. And it says, if he has sins, they will be forgiven him. right? And there's a much larger discussion about confession in the church and all those sorts of things. But the basic point would be this. His sickness in some cases may be due to his sin. 1 Corinthians 11 makes that clear, right? There are people who take the Lord's table in dishonor and have brought sickness upon themselves, even death. And so sin is the reason sickness is in the world. Sin is the reason that we have the flu or have cuts and scrapes and thorns and thistles and all those sorts of things but it's not always our personal immediate sin that is the reason that we are sick. And then the last point connected with this, of this idea that uncleanness is not sinful, but sin contributes to uncleanness, we are affected by sin in everything in this world, I think is this this important point. Human sexuality, the fact that we are male and female, the fact that children are made and born is not sinful or a dirty thing and that's something that I think the church has done a poor job of making clear uh, at certain points in history we have acted as though the fact that we are male and female that we are different in various ways that it's connected with the birth of children that there is pleasure in the marriage relationship we've taken all these things and we sort of put them in a box and hidden them away and we've given our children the impression that these things are evil and so what do they do? They go and talk to their friends. They go get an impression from the world about what all these things mean. And they get a wrong skewed perspective that God hates the way that our bodies are. God hates the fact that there's differences between male and female. That men should be women and women should be men and we should all be the same. And, and having children is evil and having a wife is a burden. And all of these ungodly ideas that are in our world to some extent if our children believe them it may be because we've done a poor job teaching them this truth that God created male and female and that was a good thing so for example even how does this tie to this passage think about the story of the woman who has the discharge of blood for 12 years in Matthew 9 or in Luke 8 that ties just to that section that we read there in chapter 15 She was ceremonially unclean for 12 years. So not only did she have to deal with all of the frustrations and unpleasantness of being in that state for that many years, but she couldn't go down to the tabernacle, to the temple. She couldn't gather with God's people for worship because she was in this state of uncleanness. Jesus heals her as she comes up. She brushes against his cloak, and it says, power goes out of him, and he heals her, and then he confronts her, and they have this conversation about it in the Gospels. Think about what that would have been like for that woman after 12 years. She's free of the burden of this, and she has opportunity to gather with God's people through the ministry of Jesus. A few other things that the New Testament says on this subject. Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is honorable among all, and the marriage bed undefiled. So if we want a verse that clearly makes it obvious that being male and female is a good thing and God has established boundaries in which that is appropriate, all of those things, that's one of those verses, right? But here are the two dangers, and this is where I think we start jumping to the two dangers, and we don't start with the, but God made this good, and that's where we go wrong, but there are two dangers. What is the danger of our physical bodies and sin of this particular a variety the first one is a distraction from focus on god we tend not to think of that as even being a possibility right because we always jump to someone committed adultery or someone committed some other type of sin like that right but paul raises the interesting point in first corinthians chapter 7 which is that a man who is married a man who has children is going to have a divided focus compared to potentially someone who doesn't have those responsibilities The point of that, and Paul makes this clear in the passage, is not get rid of your wife and kids so you can have a single-minded focus on God. The point is it is more challenging because of those responsibilities. There are also great blessings associated with it, but it is more challenging. And I think that ties into what we see in the book of Leviticus in the sense that why did God not want them focused on their marital relationship at the same time they were in his presence because of that potential for distraction and lack of full devotion to him. And then the other danger that I already alluded to earlier when we were going through these things is that oftentimes, marriage or no marriage, a physical relationship between a man and woman was often a part of pagan ritual and worship. Which is why, for example, in 1 Corinthians six, sixteen, or ten, eight, or even Ephesians four, seventeen to nineteen, Paul says, Learn from Israel's example, don't be immoral because that brought God's judgment on them. Don't go back to your old way of life, where you went and committed all sorts of immorality in the pagan temples because you can't live that way anymore. You're a new creature in Christ. So there is that danger as well. But that doesn't mean that marriage Physical bodies, being male and female, is automatically sinful, though there is capacity for it to be touched by sin. So, the first point you can be unclean and it's not necessarily your fault. A lizard falls into your soup, that becomes unclean and you eat it accidentally. Now you're ceremonially unclean in in the times of the Israelites, right? You think about this question of sin, it's not sinful for this to have happened. It's just something that happened. But you couldn't go into God's presence because you had violated this parameter of his law that he laid out for you. So what then was the next step? Your uncleanness had to be dealt with through God's process. Why? Like the point I was making a moment ago about single-minded devotion to God that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 7... I think what stands behind Leviticus 11 to 15 is that God wants you focused on worshiping him in holiness. But here's what happened. What happened is people by the time that Jesus came along looked at something like Leviticus 11:44 through 45 which we started out reading this morning. "Consecrate yourselves and be holy, don't be unclean, you shall be holy for I am holy." And they latched on just the part about, don't be unclean. Remember Jesus' words to the Pharisees? You wash the cup and the bowl, so they're clean, ceremonially. Again, not about hygiene, not about germs, but so they were ceremonially clean. What's going on inside your heart? Actual sin, right? We were talking about this in the Sunday school hour when we were looking at Matthew 26, The Pharisees said, we're going to celebrate Passover, and we want to kill Jesus, but we don't want to riot. Think about the the hypocrisy that's going on at that point. We don't want to be ceremonially unclean, they say in another place, by touching a dead body. But we've just plotted to murder someone. We don't want, we're not concerned about worshiping God in connection with this festival that he's established, this Passover. We really hate Jesus and we want to kill him. The thing that we're afraid of is not that God will be angry, but that the people will riot against our power. And say, how, how sick and terrible and twisted is that? What about us? Is it possible for us to say, as long as I look good on the outside, I don't really have to worry about worshiping God, because if everybody else thinks well of me, everything's fine. And if we say we've never thought that way, we are lying. All of us think that. We don't want to admit it, we don't want to say it out loud, but all of us think that as long as I come to church and everything looks fine and everyone is more or less smiling or at least not screaming, then... God is happy with me, right? God doesn't want us to hide away our sin. God wants us to deal with our sin, our uncleanness. It's not like he doesn't know about it. So let me ask you this question. That was what was all the things for them. But when you and I gather together, do you gather together? To evaluate, to judge the spiritual state of others. For the Jews, clean, unclean. That's what they wanted to know. Circumcised, uncircumcised. Following this ritual, not following this ritual. That's what they wanted to know. But for you and I, is this person a good Christian? Then Jesus' words come to mind, right? Deal with the log that's in your own eye before you deal with the speck that's in your brother's eye. Deal with both, right? Right? Sometimes people forget that's part of it. Deal with both. But confess your sin to God and the people that you've offended. Deal with the uncleanness of living in a sinful world with God and others. Don't try to hide it all away and act like everything's good with God. Don't miss the main point. It's not about, am I clean or unclean? It's about, can I have a right and a close and proper relationship with God, and can the other people around me do it? It is supposed to be a unifying thing, not a thing that drives us all apart, but in Jesus' day, it was an opportunity where they could look down on this person or see this person as unworthy, and it can be that for us as well. And that's not what this passage is calling us to do. Worshiping God in cleanness is ultimately possible only through the word and work of Jesus Christ, resulting in faith. There's a fascinating exchange between Jesus and the apostles in John chapter 13. And in John 13, there's this discussion of washings, right? Jesus pours water into the basin, begins to wash their feet. Comes to Peter, do you wash my feet? Jesus says, you don't understand now, but you will hereafter. Peter says, never will you wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter says, not just my feet, but my hands and my head. Jesus says to him in verses 10 and 11, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who is betraying him. For this reason he said, not All of you are clean. But then a little bit later, he explains why he says they are clean. He says, because you have my word in you. Because you have my word in you. John 15 and verse 3. So, Peter didn't need a bath. It wasn't about being clean in that sense. It wasn't even about a ceremonial washing in the sense of could they approach God through Jesus. What made the disciples clean in God's sight was Jesus' word. And beyond his word, also his work. Think of what it says, for example, in Acts chapter 15 and verse 9. It says, God who knows the heart testified to them, the Gentiles, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. So God's work was to cleanse their hearts through the faith that they were having toward Jesus Christ. And and let me clarify, their faith did not accomplish anything in God's sight, but it is a proper response to the work that God has accomplished. If we continue through the New Testament, we even come to a passage which which we looked at not long ago. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14, where it says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Or even in the book of Revelation, chapter 19 and verse 8, where it says that the saints are clothed in white linen and these are the righteous acts of the saints worshiping god and cleanness is ultimately possible only through the work that jesus has done why because for the israelites what kept happening over and over and over and over again They were unclean and they were unclean and they were unclean and they were unclean. And they were sinful and they were sinful and they were sinful and they were sinful. And they did ritual after ritual after ritual after ritual. And they did sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice and over and over and over again. And it was a never ending thing. And then Jesus comes. Think of the freedom of that. One sacrifice One cleansing, done. Now, there is a sense in which we need to continue to acknowledge an ongoing confession of our sin and uncleanness and imperfection in God's sight. We'll talk about that in just a moment, but the question I have for you is this. Do you rely on your own efforts to be clean? Because that's the problem for so many people in our world today. Being clean was both a ceremonial, uh, a societal standing in the nation that God had established for them, but there was also an element of conscience as well, which some of the passages that we just looked at, I think, acknowledge, right? Even if I have not done something wrong, sometimes there is still an element of guilt, of awareness of my imperfection, of awareness of my not Being as perfect as God is perfect, right? And all of the things in the Old Testament couldn't ultimately deal with those issues of conscience. But like the passage we just looked at in Hebrews said, Jesus' death deals not just with actual sin, but even with all of these other things associated with living in a sinful world, cleanses our conscience, frees us, so we have the opportunity to serve God wholeheartedly. But we don't have that if we're relying on our own efforts to be clean. So how do you try to come before God? God, I tried really hard today. God, I went to church. God, I prayed this many prayers. Or, God, Jesus died for me. Jesus forgives me. Jesus cleanses the defilement of body and soul in a way that all of these rituals of the Old Testament could never ultimately and finally resolve. But Jesus can and does. And so through Jesus' work, we're cleansed not just outwardly or ritually, but entirely and someday perfectly. Think about David's words in Psalm 51. Wash me, and I will be cleansed. Purify me. I will be whiter than snow. Do you know what David talks about that we often skip over in Psalm 51? Hyssop and washings and sprinkling and all of that. Do you know where that comes from? Passages like Leviticus 11 to 15. We just sort of skip over that because we're like, that has nothing to do with my daily life. But he's saying, through your appointed means, God, you can and you will cleanse me. And we are aware of that in an even greater sense. Let me read for you just a few more quick passages as we conclude. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. We looked at this a few weeks ago, but I want to read it for you again. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The uncleanness of living in a sinful world affects us even if we're not actively sinning in the moment that we encounter it. Through the work of Jesus, we can be cleansed in our consciences and in our persons and in our souls of all of these things. Hebrews 10, verse 22, makes a similar point. Where it says this, Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then obviously the passage in First John 1 that talks about dealing with sin. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's my question on this point. Are you satisfied with shortcuts and outward appearances looking good to other people? Or do you long to be truly clean? Not just what people can see, because that was the error of the Pharisees. Not just well enough that you can uh, give a right impression or give an impression that you're right to people at church, maybe even to your own family. But in the sight of God, when your soul is laid bare and your conscience exposed, are you clean? Jesus is the only way to make that happen. God cleanses us from our uncleanness our uncleanness that is often connected with but is not necessarily sinful our uncleanness that is not always our fault we don't always walk along through life and and encounter a situation where our consciences are led into sin where we are where we are intending to sin right but we encounter temptation we encounter uncleanness of this world in which we live and it can defile us And the only place we can go, the only person we can approach is to come to God through Jesus because he can and does finally and fully deal with sin, with uncleanness, with the realities of living in this broken world. There's freedom to be found there. There is peace to be found there. There is an honesty and an openness to be found there that we will never have If, like the Pharisees, we cling to outward rituals and don't deal with the sin that's in our hearts, or if, like the Gentiles of Jesus' day, we indulge ourselves with no self-control in any kind and every kind of sin because there's no escape from the defilement of sin there either, the cleansing comes through Jesus, body and soul, mind and heart, and it is true cleansing. Let's pray. Lord, there are are difficult things to think through in these verses. Things that seem distant from us, like leprosy. Things that seem awkward to think about, like the realities of how our physical bodies work. Things that seem inexplicable, like why one animal or another could not be eaten. Lord, I pray that we would see the main point of this passage, that uncleanness had to be dealt with, that it had to do with being in a right relationship with you and your people, because you're a holy God, you allow no uncleanness in your sight, even unintentional uncleanness. But through Jesus, we can be washed, we can be purified, we can be cleansed, not merely of our sin, but of our sinfulness, anticipating that day when all of these things will be finally and fully dealt with and we can, in your presence, live without sorrow and death and sin and all of these things that plague us in this world. Help us to long for that day, Lord. Help us to desire some glimpses of it even now as we put off sin and turn towards you. Open our eyes to our spiritual blindness. Stir our hearts to be passionate about these things because they are important to you. Help us to look with a desire to unity and better worship of you toward the people around us not with eyes of judgment that are blind to our own failings and sinfulness and focus and magnify theirs. Lord, help us to come before you in a proper way, clean, washed by the blood of the Lamb, as the song we sang just a little while ago said. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.